today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. We need to know that somebody is in control, okay? And that somebody is God Almighty. And He is in control of all of His creation. Even when our own life seems to be taking a major detour, hitting roadblocks, uh, tailspin, whatever it might be. That's when, in the midst of that, we can cry out to Him who is in control. Lord, I am Yours. And I surrender my life, I surrender my today, my tomorrow, all of my future into your hands, whether that be a relationship issue, whether that be a financial issue, whether that be a physical issue, whether that just be a spiritual battle that's going on. Have you ever felt completely out of control? Maybe even as you listen, you're in a tailspin. Pastor David is encouraging us to put everything in perspective. God is God and we are not. He is the one with the power and ability to handle everything in our lives. We aren't supposed to be carrying this burden alone. We're reminded of that repeatedly in the Word. When we finally let go and let God, we are much more at peace. That doesn't mean there are no trials, but it does mean that we're not alone in them. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 5 with today's edition of The Open Word. We're now getting into really some of the uh, deeper and for some folks the more exciting events that are going to be happening now through the rest of the way of the book of Revelation. So again, we're going to be introducing tonight the uh, seven sealed scroll. And as I said last week, though we finished in worship, it had to be for John as he looked and as he was a part of this, some of the most beautiful, some of the most amazing times that he could ever have experienced in all of his existence. To be in the heavens when the 24 elders and the four living creatures began in worship and all of that was going on. Well, it's going to continue to get even more powerful and more dynamic tonight as we move into chapter 5. There John was, who was standing before the throne of glory, Almighty God was seated there. John tells us in chapter 4 that God's appearance was like a jasper and a sardis stone, and there was a rainbow around the throne and the appearance like an emerald. It, again, had to be such an overwhelming time for John. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you were overwhelmed in worship. Now, some of you may have been there. Maybe it's at your house even, listening to something on the radio or a CD that you put in, or just in a prayer time that you've had. Maybe it was at church during worship time, and man, just the Spirit of God just came upon you, just overwhelmed you. You know what? We can't even begin to imagine how it's going to be in the heavenlies. There's not going to be any kind of distraction. 
There's not going to be any effort to try and impress someone. It's just between us and the Lord. And when we talk about spirit-filled worship, then it's truly going to be spirit-filled worship at that point. Around God Almighty, seated on the throne there in chapter 4, were the 24 elders clothed in their white robes, crowns on their heads. And from the throne... John writes, are proceeded, the, the lightnings, the thunderings, the voices, and the seven lamps of fire that were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. All of that was last week. Every aspect of it had to be a major sensory overload for John through all of this. He wasn't anticipating this. You've got to understand. He was just going through, probably for him, his normal routine. It was the Lord's Day, and It started out in prayer, and it ended up in glory. And what a great place for our prayers to end up. Amen? If they would only always be that way. It's almost too much to imagine. And actually for you and I, it is too much to imagine. We don't have anything really to be able to compare what's happening with John in our own lives. I don't believe that John had anything to compare it with. He's kind of stretching and reaching for words to be able to describe all that's going on. And I don't believe that he had enough words. I don't believe that he could have grabbed enough adjectives to be able to describe everything that was happening. John told us that from the midst and around the throne were the four living elders, one with a face like a lion, one with a face like a calf or an ox, one with the face uh, like a man, the other like an eagle. Now we move from these living creatures. We'll see a little bit more more of them in chapter 6, and what we read in chapter 4, they were busy all the time, day and night, bringing praise, bringing glory to the Lord, a continual worship experience, and John told us still in chapter 4 that again, as they worshiped, then the 24 elders, they got caught up in the worship themselves, they fell down before the throne, they would throw down their crowns before the throne, and again, just proclaiming and praising, as he says in verse 11 of chapter 4, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What an awesome experience that had to be. I wonder how many of us really and truly, in the depth and the core of things, really hunger for that kind of experience. Maybe we might think in our own brains, our own minds, well, that's what heaven's going to be like. But we'll probably never experience anything like that here. Let me encourage you on this. I believe that you can experience some deep, deep, powerful times of worship in the Lord. Well, one of the things you have to do is, and I kind of hesitate to say the phrase because somebody is going to take it wrong, but you need to pretty well set aside your inhibitions. You need to set aside your fear that, you're going to embarrass yourself. Remember in the Old Testament when David was worshiping the Lord when the ark came up? Do you realize how crazy David must have looked as he's dancing before the Lord? And he didn't care who saw it because he was doing it as unto the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we need to jump out in the aisles and dance when we worship. That's not what I'm saying. Although, hey, you know, but anyway, I won't even go there. But what I'm saying is, is in our own worship experience. Have you ever really allowed yourself to enter into that kind of experience? Or are you all prim and proper? 
I tell you one thing, prim and proper is going out the window once you get to heaven. Because I think you're going to be so overwhelmed. Wouldn't it be great to have a little taste of that before you got there? Okay. Chapter 5. As we look at this, you need to realize that this worship time of chapter 4 is still continuing. That's still happening. And again, if we could just get rid of the chapter you know, settings, move that out of the way. We go from that, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you've created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. So they're all praising and worshiping the Lord, while the four living creatures are saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So this great worship thing is going on. And then in verse 4 of chapter 5, it says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, according to what we've already seen, we know that the one that's seated on the throne is God Almighty. And in his right hand, he holds a scroll. And again, the right hand speaks of strength. It speaks of authority. It speaks of control, and this is exactly what God Almighty has over all of his creation. God is in control, because I know a lot of times our lives feel like they're out of control, and we need to know that somebody is in control, okay, and that somebody is God Almighty, and he is in control of all of his creation, even when our own life seems to be taking a major detour, hitting roadblocks, uh, tailspin, whatever it might be. That's when, in the midst of that, we can cry out to him who is in control. Lord, I am yours. And I surrender my life, I surrender my today, my tomorrow, all of my future into your hands, whether that be a relationship issue, whether that be a financial issue, whether that be a physical issue, whether that just be a spiritual battle that's going on. Lord, you are in control, though at times I am out of control. Lord, I want to be under your control. He's got the scroll, and in that scroll, I believe, speaks of his plans, speaks of his purposes, speaks of his will that he is able to completely carry out. And just as any earthly monarch would pass on to his subjects any decrees and any commands to make his will known within his kingdom so that they understand and know, this is what I declare. You know, we've seen movies, we've heard the declaration, you know, where thus it's spoken, thus shall it be. You know, that kind of an attitude of, of what a, a sovereign, what a monarch can do. The pharaohs of old, the king in uh, the king and I, whatever his phrase was, again, that idea, he speaks it and you've got to do it. And it's just got to be that way. In the same way, God, when he speaks it, it is there. We have that picture here of that one who has authority over all of his creation, and he's holding out his directives in the form of this scroll. John tells us that the scroll was written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, there's a lot of interpretations as to what John is saying here that are given by various commentators, but you guys know what a commentator is, right? It's not a special tater, it's just a commentator, okay? So again, uh, it's the Word of God that's inspired. There are some good commentators out there, but they are just commentators, okay? One thing that seems to hold true with all of these that write, the important thing is, is the seven seals. 
And these seven seals speaks of the importance of the document. It speaks of the perfection of the document. It speaks of the completion of the document because it's seven seals. It's not just four, not just five or three. It uses that word seven, and seven is that number of completion or perfection. Now, any important document of that day would have been sealed, and they would use a wax seal. And the way that they would do that, particularly with scrolls, and I meant to bring a piece of paper up here, but you know what a scroll is. It's usually a long sheet that they would use, papyrus or whatever form they would use, maybe a piece of uh, animal skin. They would roll that up, and then as they brought that last layer around, They would then drip wax where the two overlaid each other. And then while that wax would still soft, they would either with a signet ring impress into it or with a stamp, they would impress into it so that once it's sealed, once it's dried, you couldn't open the document without breaking that seal. Now, some say that during that time they would also sometimes use twine or or string to wrap around a document. And then where you tied the string together, brought the knot of the string together, they would seal it there, making it rather impossible to untie the string without breaking the seal. And here, this one has seven seals upon it. Seven seals. When you get into the detail of the scroll... Some say that the scroll was written on the inside and on the back side, and then it was sealed with seven seals. Others say that it was written only on the inside, and on the back there were seven seals. So either way you go, I don't believe that that's the big deal. But one of the things we do know in Ezekiel, Ezekiel was given a very similar scroll. In Ezekiel chapter 29, it says, Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And then he spread it out before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside. It's not normal to write on the outside because on the outside it would get smeared. But if it's, a, again, a very lengthy document, it could be written on the outside. Again, in Ezekiel's document, written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. When we look in chapter 6 as we begin to start breaking these seals or as the lamb breaks the seals, we're going to find out that in this document there's lamentations, there's some mournings, and there's some woe also. Personally, I don't think it matters too much as far as whether it's written on the front and the back side or just the front side with the seals on the back. That's not the big deal. The point here is there was a scroll. What was written in the scroll we're going to look at in a couple of chapters, and it had the seven seals. When we get to chapter 6, we're going to find that the seven seals, I believe, were actually layered in this document because one seal is going to be opened, and then another seal is going to be opened then another seal is going to be opened. And for me, it looks almost like they rolled one, sealed it, rolled another, sealed it, rolled another, sealed it, to where you have this document with seven seals. It doesn't really matter how you look at it. We do know that there's seven seals. We know that there's a document. We'll look at those when we get to chapter 6. The seven seals written with seals. It's in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. No doubt, I believe, declaring these things that come from the sovereign of the universe who sits on the throne. John then writes in verse 2 here of chapter 5 of Revelation. He says, And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? 
And there was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. That strong angel, whoever he might be, set out this challenge. And it says, with a loud voice, he declared it. And he's declaring it to every realm of creation, to heaven, to earth, and even under the earth. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And apparently, whatever the seal contained, and we'll find that out in a little bit, it was going to take an individual of particular character, a particular criteria, to be able to open or to be worthy to open the scroll or even to look at it. From John's vantage point, remember, he's standing there in the heavens. He could see the 24 elders that are circling around the throne. Come on, aren't one of you guys worthy? Aren't one of you guys able? I mean, you're seated on thrones here. You've got crowns. Man, you ought to be worthy. What about one of the four creatures? None of them. There's angels already that have been speaking, and they're undoubtedly around. There's nobody coming up and saying, hey, I can do this. I can do this. John, I believe, understood because it was coming from the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. He understood the importance of that document. And although at that point he had no idea of what it contained, I believe he simply understood because not only the origin, but also the fact that it was sealed with seven seals, that it was an important document that needed to be open, needed to be read, and needed to be understood. And when nobody responded to that angel's call, that angel's challenge, verse 4 tells us, so he, or so John, wept much. As a matter of fact, a better translation says that he began weeping continually overwhelmed with weeping. That's how moved he was during this thing. John began to weep much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But then one of the 24 elders said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. John burst into tears, continually weeping, overwhelmed as he could be. The importance of this document just overwhelming him that no one was going to be able to open it. And then one of the elders comes to him and says, no, don't weep. There is one who's able to open it. Though nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth was found worthy to open it, there is one who is worthy, the one who has prevailed. And this one who has prevailed is given the title the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And both of these descriptors are messianic descriptors. And they are describing, without a doubt, Jesus Christ himself. And it's interesting to note that this is the only place in Scripture that Jesus is given that title, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You think, really? I thought that was back in the Old Testament. No. Judah is spoken of as, you know, having the symbol of a lion. Certainly he's from the tribe of Judah, but Jesus does not have that except here in Revelation. There's this beautiful blessing in Genesis chapter 49 where Jacob is blessing or he's pronouncing to his children what their future is going to be. And if you want to look at it with me, it's in Genesis 49. We're going to begin in verse 8. 
but you can definitely, for Judah, for his future, for his family, for his tribe, for his lineage, you see this messianic theme that's kind of woven into it. So Genesis chapter 49, as kind of an introduction, we look back up at verse 1, where it says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Isn't that cool? Even all the way back there, in the last days, this declaration is being made. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Jump down to verse 8, where he's speaking to Judah, in particular Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. It's interesting. This is a prophetic declaration. Jesus coming through the tribe of Judah. I believe right there, Jesus is the one whom your brothers will praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Then in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is the same promise that God gave David, King David, who was from the tribe of Judah, that the scepter will not leave. He shall always have somebody from his family enthroned, and Jesus from the lineage of David. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. And again, this is just a Hebrewism type of a thing of, again, just the blessing of God being poured out and poured out upon him. So from the family line of Judah, Messiah was going to arise. Back in Revelation chapter 5, He's described by that elder as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this, again, speaks of Messiah's strength, of his superiority. Judah was the most powerful of all the tribes, and Jesus is declared the lion of the tribe of Judah. One of these commentators says, a fellow by the name of Spence, he writes this, The root of David is a synonym for the stem or the branch. We find that both in Isaiah chapter 11, 1, the word comes through Isaiah saying, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, Jesse being David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And then Paul refers back to that in Romans 15, verse 2, where he refers to Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. Spence goes on to say further, Christ may be said to have been the root of David by virtue of his pre-existences and his creative power. So he is even the root, he's the beginning of David, but he's also a branch of David. So again, the pre-existence of Christ in the future or the birth of Christ in that lineage. So it's one of the paradoxes of the incarnation that he's both the root of David and he's also a branch of David. Well, back in Revelation 5, the elder tells John, don't weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then in verse 6, he says, And John looked, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
We've come to the end of our time together for today. But if you're not ready to be done yet, you can find additional messages from The Open Word. Pastor David is here to share how you can continue listening. Hey, thanks, Chris. We love getting the Word of God out to as many people as possible. All the teachings you hear on The Open Word have been preserved on our website. You're welcome to access them. Visit theopenword.com to listen to or download the messages God has supplied from His Word. That website again is theopenword.com or you can search for The Open Word Podcast on iTunes and subscribe for free. I'd like to encourage you to take these messages with you on the go. You never know when you'll have a moment of peace in your day. So why not fill it with God's Word? I hope you continue to study the Bible and that it continues to bless you and fill you with His joy. Thanks, Pastor David. We're so glad these resources are available to us whenever we want them. The book of Revelation is so often shrouded in mystery with its outlandish pictures of winged creatures by the throne of God and roaming the earth. As we continue to study, though, we'll be able to discern how these pictures all point to the one spotless lamb who conquered all through laying down his life. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, the lamb, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd love to share the greatest story with you, the one where God came down to earth to join in a relationship with us. That's all for today, but join us next time right here on The Open Word.